With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right. We're back on the Anonymous Eagle podcast. Um, A somber, reflective, um, but maybe the hangover has worn off edition of the Anonymous Eagle podcast. Uh, My name is Patrick Leary. I'm joined by Sam Newberry, as always. Um, Sam, you were in attendance in lovely Hartford uh, on Thursday uh, when Marquette's hopes and dreams of salvaging anything out of uh, what had gone from a landmark season to a, you know, flop to the finish, um, went up in flames. Um, what was the atmosphere like, um, inside the XL center, um, when you witnessed John Morant and Steve Wojciechowski's game plan burn Marquette to the ground? Well, uh, I mean, to start it on a positive note, uh, being a neutral fan at the NCAA tournament, it's potentially one of the coolest things I've ever done. Um, so we got to watch Florida state and Vermont, um, play before us, basically a Vermont home game because of its proximity to Hartford. Um, and really not having a a rooting interest is fantastic. Like it is incredible to not have a rooting interest and watch the NCAA tournament live. Um, the Excel center was not incredible. Uh, and it only got exponentially worse when John Morant decided to pick apart the Marquette defense. Um, it's really easy for a neutral crowd to turn on a team, um, especially uh, you know a five seed facing a twelve seed, facing an NBA draft prospect, facing you know the you know dare I say the the popular twelve five upset pick besides maybe Oregon Wisconsin. Um, you know, and man, when that crowd got on John Morant's side uh, and Murray State's side, um, there was the, it, it was a true road game at that point, and it was not just a neutral site game. Um, I got no explanation for you. That kid's just good. Um, it really sucks that I had to be on the rooting end of the loss there. Um, because I really wish I could have appreciated it more in person at the time. Um, I distinctly remember just hanging my head when Ja Morant posterized Joey Hauser and sort of going, well, what can you do? Um, yeah, um, that was potentially the highlight of Thursday. Um, the Ja Morant dunk on poor dearest Joseph. Um, who was not prepared to absolutely get it in the face like he did um, on that one. Uh, And I, I, you know, CBS kind of does this weird thing where they will promote tweets with highlights in them, even if they had happened like a few hours ago, um, so that when you're scrolling through your timeline, you keep seeing highlights. And that one seemed like it was coming up over and over again. And to be fair, it was absolutely vicious. Um, That's probably the enduring moment that'll stick with me. um, Because you were at the game, I believe that was early second half, right? Yeah, I think that was in like the first five to seven minutes of the second half. And that was sort of the, well, we have no chance at coming back right moment. Like, you had kind of hoped that maybe... I know, so Murray State was up, what, seven at the half. They immediately went on another run, and you're like, well, maybe Marquette can make contact again and, you know, uh, drive this lead down a little bit, and then John Morant does that, and you go, well, uh, 
here we are. So, it, it, I mean... It was really interesting because a lot of, like, John Morant's flaws were on display in that game, too. Um, and... Well, yeah, because it was, it was the game against Florida State where John Morant was... Went, what, like, 5 of 5 from 3 to start? I mean, he had some ridiculous threes against us, but, it, like, you could tell Murray State wasn't a jump-shooting team. It was just literally... What, what What's that kid's name? Tevin? Was it Tevin Brown. Or? Yeah, that kid was a good shooter. Yeah, and it's just like the the, the the double team on John Morant was probably the worst way to guard him. Oh, yeah. We can team. get into that. I mean, that game he picked, plan... He picked us apart. That is, the, that is one of the single weirdest bits of strategy. I can remember a team... I care about um, and follow employing to think that bringing an extra defender on a guy who's notorious for being probably the most gifted passer in the entire NCAA. I don't understand the thinking at all. I, I just, I don't know how those two things go together. Like if anything, you want to force the guy to score. Like, it doesn't make sense, the concept of, and you saw it on almost every possession, if the ball was moving, Marquette's defense was scrambling, and there was going to be an open window, at the very least, if not just a wide opening, for a Murray State player. And it... it they did adjust out of it. I mean, they kind of stopped doubling him after a while um, when he kind of just forced them into submission. Um, but it just doesn't make sense in my head. And, you know, maybe this is why I'm not, you know, professionally involved with basketball at all. But it just didn't make sense in my head why you would approach a brilliantly gifted passer like that. Um, I, I really, I really don't know. And I mean, I think I have a, a quick take on that. And it's like, I understand trying, like, I, and I think I vaguely recall Wojo saying in the press conference afterwards, like we wanted to force him into making mistakes, passing the ball by crowding him on the double team. And he just proved that he was it, it, at least for our defense and the guys that were being involved in the double team most of the time. So Sakar, Brendan, the bigs, um, they they just either they weren't up to the task or he is just that brilliant at not being flappable at all when that happens. And he hit some absurd passes. Like there it's one thing to get absolutely torched by a top three to top five NBA pick. It's one thing to, you know, like say, well the game plan didn't work. But it just felt like we never were but it felt like we're going to do this. Well, crap, he's beating us and we're doing this. What do we do? And we sort of went, well, we didn't, we didn't have a backup plan. And, you know, even stopping that double team didn't really change anything at that point because stopping that double team, or at least the aggressive way we were playing above screens on the double team and trying to get the two on one where he couldn't pass as soon as we started sagging off that a little bit and going under the screen, he was getting to the rim. And it just, like, I, I would have rather seen us going under the screen and giving him the space to shoot the, the, the step-back jumper. Um, but he was still finding ways to the rim anyway. So I, I think it is a breakdown of a defensive game plan. But at the end of the day, the guy was still just going to torch you no matter what. Yeah, I mean... We talked about it on the pod uh, shortly before and after Selection su Sunday about how this was such a horrible matchup for Marquette. Um, just from the standpoint of, you know, before you even broke it down, and really, honestly, I don't think it ended up mattering. Um, and nothing really beyond John Morant ended up mattering for Marquette because John Morant broke Marquette. Yeah, he it, uh, he went full Bane and Batman. Yeah, I, just... well, there was no, like, oh, well, okay, 
Uh, Morant's going to do his thing, but there are these things going on that can sort of keep it together. There was no, there was nothing else in the scouting report mattered. Morant just did so much himself that just completely took Marquette out of the game. Um, the, uh, where is that going with that? I was going somewhere with that. Um, oh, I was just saying how we had talked about how, um, Murray State was just the worst possible draw. And the reason it was the worst possible draw is because John Morant is such a game breaker. Um, to use a term from one of my favorite all-time video games, NFL Street. Um, John Morant could flip the switch and the rest of the matchup didn't matter because he, and, and part of that's on Marquette. It's not all, um, you know, Morant is that good. Part of it was Marquette did not have a good approach for Morant. Um, but that's why Murray State was the first round matchup that I was dreading for Marquette. Um, and I think you agreed because 12 seeds don't have players that can completely nullify any other matchup. Typically. The, the, the chance of facing a lottery pick as a 12 seed, on, or excuse me, on a 12 seed if you are a 5 seed, is so improbable. Like, if you just look historically, it's just not likely at all. Um, and, let alone like a, like a competent future pro. And so it, it was just such a bad matchup. And then the crazy thing is what Florida State did two days later, even if Marquette had had the right game plan for John Morant, that team would have crushed Marquette. Yeah, there was there was <laughs> there was some guarded optimism from me um, about potentially beating Florida State. That as soon as I watched Florida State uh, start playing where he stayed, I went, "Oh my God, we would have lost by 50. Yeah, I don't I don't know what Marquette would have done to Fiondi Cabangeli. Like, I nothing. Yeah, we would have gotten out uh, of the way and just accepted our fate. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, I guess really to wrap up Murray State, like you said, like this was you, you don't see top five NBA picks on twelve seeds. That doesn't happen. Right. I it was a miserable matchup. This was St. John's exacerbated. Like yeah, this was Saint the St. John's matchup taken to extremes, where everybody on their team was just more athletic than their defensive counterpart. Um. And they just absolutely exploited every single thing that we tried to implement in our game plan. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, it's hard to call the season a failure even after we did stumble. And I know we were talking up earlier in either an episode or two ago where, like, this has still been a really great season regardless of how things go. Um, It's hard to feel good after how things ended, but, I, I mean... This is exactly where we thought we would be at the beginning of the season. Just the the path we took to get there was really disappointing. And I, do, I just I don't know what to think about this season right now. I, I, I was on the highest horse of, like, it's still been a great season. It's still been awesome. Everything's fine. Everything's dandy. But, man, it is. It, it still leaves a sour taste. Oh, absolutely. Uh, with how it ended and... You know, the games we lost and how we lost them. And um, I, so I, I, I really don't know what to think about the season. I, and I know that we'll wrap up the entire season as a whole um, probably in the next week or so. Yeah. Well, let's let's take a break quick. And then on the other side, we will just say share some thoughts on sort of the last half uh, of conference play and sort of the decline and, and how we feel relative to um, the overall season uh, with this tough stretch behind us. All right. Um, I'll just start. I mean, this season was so good for so long um, and so optimistic. Um, 
to the point where I, I don't want to, I want to try to not let the final stretch where Marquette lost six of seven, um, taint the overall accomplishment of the season because regardless of what happened, it didn't reach Marquette reached a new level this season as a program that it hadn't been at since Buzz Williams was the coach. Um, so regardless of the difficult ending, I think the run from January 6th to February 23rd, where Marquette lost one game by one point, um, and won, I believe, 11 of 12 in that stretch, um, that will stay with me as a distinct memory of this season. It was actually 12 out of 13. Um, it, that run where every game at the end of the, at the end of the game, Marquette would find a way to pull it out and you would have confidence that they were going to do that was just, it was a great feeling as a fan. And it felt like they were legitimately um, accomplishing something uh, with the way that they were playing. Um, I don't know. Um, before I delve deep into too much other stuff, um, do you want to jump on that at all? I mean, I just really don't know what else to say. Like, mm-hmm. it's... It was so encouraging to see all of this, like, we, we, we hadn't, like you said, we hadn't seen this since Buzz. We, we won, you know, yeah, we lost the, the, the miserable start at St. John's, but then we proceeded to, you know, beat a tough Seton Hall team that ended up beating us twice more in the season. We beat Georgetown away without our second team All-American, um, you know, we didn't lose to DePaul. We we beat We Xavier. didn't Yeah, we, we beat Xavier at the Cintas Center, we blew out Butler at Hinkle. Like we won all these boogeyman games that we hadn't been winning in the past under Wojo. We beat Nova at home. I mean everything was looking like this team was a three seed. Everything was looking like this team was you know, finally back to maybe not where we should expect them to be every year, but like this is one of those years where you're like, hey, we can compete for an Elite Eight, a Final Four, and we should be a tournament team every year. Like this was one of those years where you finally went, wow, this I haven't felt this way since 2012, 2013 when Buzz took us to the Elite Eight and we shared a regular season big east title like you finally saw the the full potential of what this team can do and yeah maybe we were winning lucky games and we were getting some kind officiating in omaha and you know maybe all the and yeah marcus was scoring 35 plus a game you know there was a lot of things working in our favor that maybe shouldn't have been but you saw what this team could be under steve wojciechowski and that's why it was so bitter in the end. And I'm going to let you take the thought back there. Yeah, I mean, I think you mentioned where we saw Marquette could go under Steve Wojciechowski. Um, I think that there's a lot of uh, concern about, you know, the, the, the Wojo concern Twitter is back. Um, it was gone for so long. And the, especially because of how the team approached John Morant, um, it came back. Um, And it's really back. I mean, the people that have kind of quieted down, that in the past have been loud about it, have uh, fired... The, uh, they, they fully reload. Yeah, no, the cannons are full blazing again. 
Um, and even like the more rational people like Pain Touches is very analytical as always and really was very negative um, about the uh, how everything went in that game and the game plan in general. And so I think the concern is long term does Wojo cap what you can achieve as a program. And I don't necessarily think that he does. Um, Because I think... And the real question for me is, without Stan Johnson involved in the program, which I don't think you have much of a guarantee of that going forward um, because I believe he would li- he will likely continue to get head coaching offers that he will eventually take one. Um, without Stan Johnson in the program, does the infrastructure somewhat fall apart? Um, because Stan Johnson is, to my knowledge, um, not only an exceptional recruiter, and I think that that's the, the quality of the recruiting Marquette has done in the last um, four-ish years, basically since the Wojo era started, has been phenomenal. Um, you know, getting the Hauser brothers, the probably the best products out of Wisconsin in the last um, three years. Um, getting Marcus Howard. Tyler Harrow, but yes. Yeah, you're right, Tyler Harrow. Um, but, you know... Getting Marcus Howard um, out of Chandler, Arizona, because Stan um, had a pre-existing relationship with him um, before that coaching uh, uh, regime at Arizona State fell apart. Um, You know, the recruiting and the talent that Marquette has brought in has been top-notch. And that's why they are where they are. Um, you know, obviously they're still not to where some fans like them to be, but the reason that they're as far as they are, is that um, they uh, were able to recruit at an extremely high level. So the question for me is, what is how much of that is Stan Johnson not only um, Stan Johnson not only from a standpoint of um, quality of his rec- recruiting, but the impact that he has. Um, as a uh, personable, um, the guy who kind of keeps everything together within the program. Um, Because I've heard that it's, you know, playing for Wojo isn't all, you know, sunshine and butterflies. Um, That he can be tough. Um, And so, but I think if um, he is... Uh, still, if he keeps Stan Johnson there, um, I don't understand. I I don't. Th- I guess I'm not jumping on the the bandwagon of um, the sky is falling um, because um, you know Wojo can't coach in big situations. I think if you're only looking at like, well, the two times he's been in the NCAA tournament, they've gotten blown out. That's just so reductive. Um, I think you really look at it, They, the two times they've been in the NCAA tournament, they've drawn the worst possible matchups. Um, and so going forward, I don't necessarily believe that Wojo is going to cap what this team can accomplish. Um, I think that um, it's a great um, program supplied by some great recruits and that um, next year's team, Marcus Howard or no Marcus Howard, um, is going to be better than this year's team. Um, the results might not be the same. Um, the question, um, the question is how much better is the Big East 
And if you're following um, the early season uh, transfer uh, window, um, to steal a word from soccer, um, it is not. <laughs> it is looking like the conference is going to be a lot better, um, just by virtue of that. Let alone, you know, improving players. Um, the conference is going to be a lot tougher. So 12 and six with a disastrous finish is probably not going to be as, um, simple as it was this past year. Um, but I don't understand. I guess I'm not fully on the bandwagon of don't even bother because, um, because, you know, they can't achieve success if Wojo's still the coach. I don't, I I don't buy that. Um, because I think, um, so much of success in college basketball is recruiting a quality program, a quality talent to the program. And that, uh, Steve Wojciechowski's demonstrated that he's going to do that on a regular basis. Like even a guy like Dexter Ocano that were, that's so under the radar coming into next year. Um, that's a guy that we're like, wow, I've heard this guy is, plays incredible defense. And it's like that kind of guy just flying completely under the radar, um, but supplementing the program is they just continue to make such quality recruiting choices. So I don't worry overall, but um, yeah, I mean, the finish of the season is concerning and it's a bummer. I think more more than anything, it's a bummer that it tarnished such a great um, season, more than anything. Because I don't want to look at it as to like, nope, Wojo can't get it done. I just think it's a bummer that they had a Big East championship in front of them and they blew it. Um, and that a lot of, like Marcus Howard, his, indel- his uh, lasting impression... Um, is going to be one of just a chucker as opposed to this transcendent player because so much of um, what he did for the last month-ish was just all this volume. And um, he stopped being sort of the, uh, the microwave scorer that he was for so long. Um, which is a bummer. I mean, I guess that's my biggest takeaway is so much of the optimism and just great memories that this season still will create in the long run um, was tarnished by the way that it ended. Uh, I mean, I just don't know about that. Like, I, not to push back too hard on the Wojo take, but I, I, we we don't know where that lies, but something in that locker room, something in the game plan broke. Um, in the you know, the last seven games, besides the stomp down of a, a exhausted, not deep, foul ridden St. John's team, um, like. I just I don't think I share the same optimism that you do about it going forward. Um something in the locker room broke and it yeah. maybe it was no, I agree. Marcus's wrist, you know? We don't know how bad that injury actually was. Maybe it was, you know, the the pulled groin he suffered against Butler when Laval Jordan couldn't let a loss go. Um you know, something something wasn't right. And we saw nothing, obviously we're not going to see what's going on off the court, but we saw nothing on the court that indicated there were the right efforts and the right moves being made to correct that. And yeah, it, it took an absolute hose job by the refs in one of our most miserable games to lose to Seton Hall in the Big East tournament and maybe make us feel a little bit better even had we gotten beat by Nova in the championship. Like, there was still something inherently off and at the end of the day that some of the blame has to go to the players who aren't i mean like the coats can't hit shots and i'm sure wojo wanted to um you know the, the slap the, the floor a little bit yeah 
Like, the, the coaching staff can't go out there and hit shots or execute a game plan or not turn the ball over, you know. As much as I would love to see Wojo in a suit slapping the floor playing defense on a point guard, that's not going to happen. Um, you, you still, that most of it has to fall at the feet of the head coach there. And, you know, Crack Sidewalks hit on this really well in their podcast from this week where we were starting to think, how long is Wojo going to get extended? What's the numbers going to be? You know, who else is he going to bring in? Um, you know, the, the 2020 recruiting class is looking to be huge um, in terms of development of the team and the names you've been associated with and who really likes our program. Um, not to mention already having Samir Torrance coming into the fold. Um, you know, we went from that back to exactly where we were at the beginning of the season, or at least I did, where I went, wow, Wojo's got this figured out. We're finally a top 50 defense. And yeah, we ended up in the top 50, but that's that's something we can get to in a second. Um, you know, we're finally this really good defense, and it doesn't look like our offense is suffering that much. And, you know, maybe he can coach and – his out-of-timeout plays calls are really good. And, um, you know, we had all of this optimism, and then it, just to watch it get utterly thrown away by what looked like the inability to fix the turnover problem, which then rolled into, well, crap, we just can't score, um, which I think the can't score part follows probably more so on the players and the coaching staff. But the turnover problem is something that's it, it probably shared 50-50 in my opinion. And I think that comes back to, A, us not having a true ball handler outside of Marcus. And B, individual player mistakes. You know, Chartouni not being able to, to play on the ball, period, at times. Um, but then it just feel, felt like no matter what. that, that So there was that three-game stretch where we had, what, average, like, 20 turnovers. Um, that That's something that the coaching staff has to deal with. And it just didn't look like they did. And then we were right back up into the high teens after the, what was it, like an eight turnover loss to Creighton at home. Yeah. Um, something like that where we finally I'm, went, wow, we can hold on to the ball. I think it might have been less, honestly. I think it was yeah. like five. But, you know, we went from Wojo has this all figured out to uh, what's going on to I'm not sure he knows what he's doing again. And, you know, what What can you do? An absolutely miserable game plan for guarding John ja Morant isn't the fault of the double team that's just listening to what their coach is telling them to definitely, do. Definitely, definitely. Um, but is it a long-term concern is the question because we were feeling I, so I good just, about it throughout the season. It yeah, I just – that's just the thing is that we went from going, oh, any hiccups aren't a long-term problem right back to we have no idea if this is a long-term problem or not. And that's kind of the, the where I'm starting to sort of check myself is that, yeah, recruiting is like 70%. Ben, ben, so Ben Snyder from Anonymous Eagle said, like, he, he'd rather have a great recruiter than a great strategist. And I think I really do agree with that because at the end of the day, you can have a great strategist. And if you don't have the right players and you don't have good players or good enough players, you know, you're, you're just not going to succeed. And so I'd rather have the overwhelming talent, like, for example, John, like not saying Marco would ever have a John Morant. You know, we've had a Dwayne Wade, I guess, so you always leave that option open. But, like, I wouldn't say that Murray State's head coach is a genius. He had John Morant. Right. At the end of the day, you kind of don't have to be a genius when you have John Morant. Sure. And... I, I think that Wojo as a recruiter and Stan Johnson as a recruiter are way more valuable than having either of them be huge basketball brains, you know? I think them being good at what they're good at is way more valuable to this Marquette team. Yeah. But it does leave open that possibility that, you know, if recruiting is 70% of it, for example... 30% of that is still in-game coaching right. and game planning. And do you want a head coach that's 70% effective or you know 90% effective where he's that 70% recruiter all the time um, and 
you know, only like 20% good enough strategist or I don't know exactly how to quantify that math and terms that make sense. But like at some point, and we've seen it, I think at some point, Wojo's game plans might cost us games. We saw that against Murray State. Um, I'm not sure that's what happened two years ago when we played South Carolina. I think that was just the offense absolutely shutting down and Sundarius Thornwell going, nah, 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 hold on. Well, also that game was in freaking Greenville, South Carolina. I will never get over that. Yes. But I think the, the bigger issue that I saw with the skid is not, is this a long-term, like, I didn't go, this is a long-term concern, Wojo needs to go. But I definitely went, I have no idea what to expect. And I think I'm a little bit more uneasy with that. Because we've only seen, we've seen the best two seasons Wojo has put together get absolutely tossed away when it mattered the most. Anyway. Yeah, sure. By what looked like bad game planning this time at least. And what looked like an inability to really handle problems that came up in the team down the stretch that concerns me i'm not and because i'm not sure it's a long-term concern leaves me like he's gonna have all of this talent next year i right now under i am under the assumption marcus is back really he's not why well just 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 because you need to see it before it happens exactly until he's gone he's here like, have we, have we, I don't know if we've discussed this. I don't know if we've discussed this. I just like everything I've heard, he's not coming back. And that that was potentially a problem down the stretch. Uh, maybe. I, I don't know. I won't pretend to have I, I, knowledge of I, it. I don't really have like well placed sources or anything. Um, but all I was, all I was hearing from people I talked to. Um, is it was potentially a problem that he was already one foot in the NBA down the stretch. I don't know. Um, I mean, and if it is, it is that, that is what it is. Yeah. But, um, I just, I, like, like I said, it'd be one thing if he was Zion Williamson or RJ Barrett or John Morant or Jarrett Culver or any of these other definite top 20 NBA picks, you know? Yeah. Like, it would be one thing, but he's not. No, and And, so I guess part of the thing is I – the reason I didn't think he was leaving until, like, maybe, like, a month ago is for that exact reason because he's not Jared Culver. He's not, like – he's not a top five pick. He's not a lottery pick. He's a second-round pick probably. Um but then you kind of look at what he had to do over the last month, and you're like, if you're him and you are confident that you can stick in the league long term as long as you just get there and get your feet under you, why would you want to come back and do what you just had to do for the last month again? Because he was just, he was just getting, he was just playing hurt, being for, forced to um, be relied on for offensive magic and it wasn't coming to him and it just didn't look fun for him now he, he did have a couple of moments where he was being a really solid teammate uh that i can think of down the stretch that st john's game um he was always encouraging of his teammates from the bench um when he wasn't in so i'm not saying that he checked out or anything but i just like you look at how much of the load he had to shoulder um, in the last, uh, uh, I don't know, I guess we'll just say the last seven games where they went on the losing streak. Um, it just, it just seemed labored and not very fun. Um, and so if you're him and you've cemented yourself as somebody who's probably, um, you know, going to be looked at as one of the best market players of all time already. I mean, he's, it would take him two more games probably, if not one next season to 
past Jarrell McNeil for the all-time scoring record. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you look at that, and it's it's like it, it becomes more understandable that after this sort of like not very fun stretch, that you that you could see a guy who clearly believes in his talents um, looking towards the pros. That's my read on it. I have very limited insider information about whether he's going or staying. It just has made more sense to me um, every passing week um, as the season wrapped up that he would look uh, forward. And I don't necessarily think that's going to screw Marquette or anything. Um, Because I'm confident in... Uh, Kobe McEwen um, and Greg Elliott um, and Dexter O'Connor to a certain extent um, and the potential to use Mark as a spot to improve the roster somehow. Um, I don't. I, so I, not to cut you off here. Yeah. Um, I do think that if if Marcus does go, I think Samir Torrance reclassifies. Man, I would um, love that. If I, if that's I, the plan, that's awesome. Yeah, I I that I think that's the probably ball. the most likely scenario here is that um Samir reclassifies if Marcus goes knowing that the the minutes are there for a scorer um and I I mean I I'm not going to like I said I'm not going to speculate about what this roster will look like yet. I think that's something for a, a later episode, but get, getting back to the original point real quick is that like we have, like, under the assumption that everybody is back that's supposed to be back next year. Mm-hmm. And under the assumption that, you know, Greg Elliott comes back fully healthy and Tex Giorcano integrates in as another depth piece at guard to start off. You, youthful um, Sakar. Yeah. Uh, I, that, that should give me all the reason in the world to be confident in next year's team that being way better than this year's team that should, but I'm again on the fence, you know, maybe it is my natural pessimism towards the thing that is Marquette basketball. Maybe it is sort of a little bit of a gut check reaction to the six of seven losses and some of the manner of those losses, but Holy crap, man. Like I, I should be way more confident and way more excited about next season. And I'm just not because I'm so unsure that we have the right staff in place to take advantage of the talent in front of them because we saw that they can, and then they completely lost it. And I think that that uncertainty is a lot more nagging than just, we have decided to move on and go in a different direction and come what may. Now, I think that would be an awful idea right now. You absolutely cannot fire the head coach right now. No. I I think that this nagging feeling of uncertainty and seeing how bad we can collapse and underperform with as good of a team as we are just is always going to leave a doubt in my mind that can Wojo do this or not. Mm -hmm. I was very ready to throw five years of an extension at him you know, two months ago, but now here we are. And I think that's just going to have to be how it is. And I want him to do nothing but come out next year and prove me wrong to a hilarious degree. I want nothing more than that, but seeing how quickly we imploded and how good we are or how good we were leaves all those nagging doubts. And we're getting to the point where we can't, have these nagging doubts about the head coach anymore, especially with again, how good we've been. And yeah. Uh, so I, I'm not on the fire. Wojo train. I, I'm not back on that train. I, I think I was at one point and I'm very not on it anymore. Definitely like not even in the same city as the train station, mm-hmm. but man. And I, I think it was, I think it was Phil or Joe, one of the guys from Crack Sidewalks was uh, saying at the like after the Indiana loss, especially. You know, I, I'm definitely not on the train, but I'm thinking about buying a ticket, and I think that the the thought about buying a ticket is why I'm so hesitant to be excited next year. 
And, you know, like I said, it's not all his fault. A lot of other things went wrong. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, the the head coach has to take some form of responsibility. I don't want Mick Cronin throwing everybody but himself under the bus. You know? And uh, I, I guess just to wrap it up, or at least wrap up this thread of a rant. Yeah. Um, I just, we are now at the point where we can't be unsure anymore with, you know, we're going into year six. We have every piece we've ever wanted for him to succeed. We've seen the glimpses of success that we can have. We, there, there are no more, there are no more next years with this coach in my opinion. It's it's now do or die time. And I don't know what that do or die time looks like yet. I don't know if it is just be competitive in the really good Big East that'll occur next year and get into the tournament and get a win or, you know, compete for a, a Big East title. I don't know what that, that, that good enough is yet, that put up or shut up threshold is yet. But I think we'll know next season pretty quick. Not pretty quick, probably... I think by the time the middle of conference play is happening next season, I think we'll have a pretty good idea if this guy can do it long term. But until then, the nagging doubts aren't where we should be right now, and that's that's kind of it. Is that I'm 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 more worried about this program than I should be. Yeah, no, I get that. Um, one thing I wanted to point out um, was that. I guess if you look at what this season was, it was 24 and 10, um, you know, with a first round exit that obviously was aesthetically terrible. Um, If you look at what the three amigos did um, in their final season, um, they went 25 and 10 with a second round exit, also lost their last four games of the regular season and won a game against St. John's, ironically, in their first game in the in the Big East tournament before losing in the second round of the Big East tournament. So while this this season obviously ended not the way we wanted it to, um, the Three Amigos season final season was extremely similar and also involved an injury, although a slightly less serious, serious one that has less. Um, had less definitive impact on the team than Dominic James's injury had. Um, but yeah, I mean, you look at it like that. Uh, maybe it wasn't, I guess my point with that is maybe it wasn't the worst season after all. Um, now I think there's a lot more what ifs with that team than this past year's team, but um, I don't know. It's not well, I impossible, guess I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Like I said at the top of the podcast, we would have taken a season like this had it been more consistent. And, like, this was what, like I said, this is what we expected this year. But we got we got that taste of Nirvana, that taste of the promised land. And so the, the path here, I think, probably leaves a, a little bit... And I'll be quite honest. I wasn't really even totally aware of Marquette University for the Three Amigos run. Oh yeah. Let let's just be real. Oh me neither, but I'm I'm just kind of I I I've heard the stories and I'm I'm just putting it into context, but anyway. Yeah, and I think that that team does leave a lot more what ifs um than this team, but I think that um you know, I there was there was a there was a thought that was going somewhere in my brain and it just decided to absolutely jump out of it. Um I don't think this team is a what-if team. I think that this is exactly how this year should have gone. And to be quite honest, I I thought we were going to be like a 6 or a 7 going into the, the start of the year, sort of like where like Nevada ended up being. I guess Cincinnati was a 7. Um, Wofford made a 7, which was awesome. Um, Ugh, Fletcher. But... Like, this was a better than expected season. And we have to be happy about that. 
Um, I mean, if you would have told me that we were definitely going to finish 12 and six and second in the big East and not tell me how we got there, I would have signed up for that in a heartbeat. Um, if you would have told me that we would win every major non-conference game we played except at Indiana and Kansas on a neutral court, I would have signed up for that in a heartbeat. But, like I said, we, we tasted that Nirvana, and so, like, th this season wasn't supposed to be a what-if season. Like, this would have been fine being a, a first-round exit as, like, a 7 versus 10, and it just being what it is. Um... This wasn't, and then we decided, oh, wait, yeah, no, wait, we're a top 10 team in the country. And maybe we were overrated. We probably were. But just to see how good this team could be, and, like, honestly, this was a Big East champion team until something blew up. And that's why I'm a lot more annoyed with it turning into a what-if season when it shouldn't have been. Yeah, I get that. All right. Um, I think we can probably wrap it up there. Um, we are going to come back um, and do a more organized wrap-up of the season um, next week. Just kind of wanted to post-mortem this a little bit. Um, um, and... Yeah, just parting thoughts. Hartford is awful. Never go there. <laughs> um, the XL Center is awful. Never go there. Um and John Moran is the truth, man. Oh, yeah. Just, All hats off to John Moran. That uh, guy's going to be yeah. a great freaking pro, and we're going to look back on that game and be like, oh, this totally makes sense that he torched Marquette. Well, yeah, and I know that Marquette was a high seed when they made the 2003 uh, Final Four run, but people probably look back and go, man, we got torched by Dwayne Wade. Yeah, exactly. That's going to that's gonna be us in 10 years. It's going to be like, wow, we were part of this yeah. awesome – experience that i got to see john morant in person and that's just how it is but it certainly does still leave a, a sour bitter taste in in your mouth no doubt um all right well we'll be back uh soon um it's not uh what uh you want you'd want to still be talking about uh basketball still to play um, at least Wisconsin lost in similarly depressing fashion. Um, that's a nice silver lining. But anyway. Wisconsin, Wisconsin got blown out by a team that, you know, doesn't have a lottery draft pick. No. Or, and I guess, that was bullet stayed healthy, maybe. But That was, like, left for dead a few, a few months ago, um, it, just in general. So, anyway, at least... We don't have that hanging over our heads. Um, but, yeah, um, glad we've uh, been here this season, and I'm sure we'll wrap it up a little bit more next time. Um, but, yeah, until then, um, keep the faith, Marquette fans. <laughs>